0: Heads, this is carl with an update on music to code by on january 4th 2016 i released the 11th music to code by track gold that's right there are now 11 25 minute tracks including the original three and you can download them all in one big zip file for less than 50 bucks at mtcb.com Dotnet Rocks, episode 1241, with guest Jimmy Bogard. Recorded
1: Thursday, December 17th, 2015.
0: Guess what time it is? What time? It's time for Dotnet Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. And uh, we're here with Jimmy Bogart. He's going to be here in just a few minutes. We'll talk to him about open source and what's new in his life. But first, my friend, yes, are you finally coming out of uh, flood mode or what?
2: Well, I guess uh, when you would hope we're recording this show like three weeks in advance. So you would yeah. hope three weeks from now everything will be fine. But at this particular moment, a you know, week before Christmas, yeah. my basement is Almost completely gutted. Flooring's out. Walls are cut. There's still some pieces that need to be disassembled and moved out before we can start the rebuild. Mm-hmm. And the city's been around. We're trying to figure out what the hell's wrong with our drains. I have a temporary pump put in to get rid of the water, but we're trying to solve getting the water out permanently again because yeah. you know water sucks. And you said uh, before the
0: show, you said your house is sitting on clay. Yeah, so it doesn't so this, soak up the water.
2: Well, you, were, you know, clay is completely impermeable to water. It's waterproof. Yeah. So, this hill that we're on, you remember when you came to my house, there's this gigantic boulder in the cul-de-sac? Sure. So, that boulder was dropped there by the Ice Age. (laughs) This hill is a moraine pile. So, it's made up of different densities. of the. It's the rock the ice couldn't crush. Yeah. And everything it could crush became this clay base that water just cannot go through.
0: You know, if you ever stick a shovel in the ground in New England... Yep. You'll, you're going to hit some rocks deposited <laughs> by the Ice Age. <laughs> yes. That's why we have all these rock walls out here. People be walking in the woods,
2: and you'll see a rock wall, and they're like, what the heck is that for? Well, it used to be a field. Yeah, it's a place to put your rocks that That's- you dug out of your field so you could actually farm it. Well, yep. up here, the, I mean, the nice thing is it's super stable ground, right? Nothing ever moves. It's mm. very solid, but it is impermeable to water. So yeah. when my drain pipe plugged up, the water just filled in the hole where my house is.
0: Well, um, Better Know Framework today is wrapped up in a story, so let's start the music, and I'll fill you in.
1: All
0: right, buddy. What do you got? All right. Uh, as many people know, I'm a guitar player. No. There are also lots of .NET Rocks listeners who are guitar players. Yeah. And I, you know, remember I told you about the flick button that I got? It was a
2: Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, little little, little button you program to do almost anything.
0: Well, yeah, little Bluetooth recognizable buttons that you. Then they have like an adhesive back and stuff, and they're very small and and fun to push, and you can program to <laughs> do anything. This
2: is the <laughs> best button I've ever pushed.
0: All right, all right. So I'm at a gig, and you know, like most guitar players, I have a pedal board. Now my yep. pedal board. You know, it's not, I I don't go crazy with the boutique tone things and the preamps and stuff. I find that most guitar players who spend a lot of time and money on their pedal boards have noisy sound. Like a lot of, uh, I don't know why, but I do like have like regular boss effects, but I want to go to the next step. And what I really want is I want to put these flick buttons on my guitar.
2: Oh, and okay, I so, push- so rather than have a pedal board, you literally just have buttons on your guitar.
0: Yes. I want to push a button on my guitar to turn the reverb on and off.
2: I want to push nice. another
0: one to turn the delay on and off, and another I mean, one for the overdrive and all that stuff, right? You're getting out of control. I'm
2: getting out of control.
0: <laughs> so I'm racking my brain because, first of all, the stuff that's out there that that is programmable, like yep. there's stuff that's programmable with Bluetooth, which is great, The problem is they all have these settings that are just presets that have a stack of effects, and you have to go from, you know, preset to preset, and it usually takes a few seconds to kick in. So it's not like you can go from preset one where you've got reverb and delay to preset seven where you've got overdrive, reverb, and delay. You know what I mean?
2: Right, And, and you can't wait. You're playing a song.
0: Yeah, I just want to turn it on, turn it off. Right. And it turns out that you can do that, but it requires MIDI. So you have to send MIDI signals to do these little things. And guess how awesome the documentation is in all of these things. (laughs) It is so bad. First of all, the instructions are f- translated from three languages. By the time it gets to English, it makes no sense at all. So, the, I
2: mean, the original was written in ancient Aramaic. Exactly. And then it was translated into, I know, Dittotic Greek. <laughs> you got and
0: it. By those they, Arama- they spent a
2: little time in Romanian, and now it's English. <laughs> those Aramaic guitar players. And <laughs> it's just driving me crazy. So... <laughs> I, I mean, I
0: spent time programming the stuff that I had and I tried it and it just wouldn't work. And right. then, um, I went to the, you know, guitar store and I tried to look at stuff. And yeah, there are pedals, you know, big things that are like $700, but I don't even know if I'm going to be able to program it. So, right. So enter native instruments. Native what? instruments is a company. And I think it's a German company, but it doesn't really matter. But they make software synths and software audio things, and they make this tool called Guitar Rig. And if you go to GuitarRig.pwop.me, you'll see what this is. It looks like every preset has a stack of components you can swap in and out. And there's 17 amps that you can model, 27 cabinets, and 54 different effects. Oh, this is gadgety. You can go nuts with tone shaping. (laughs) You can position microphones. You can go crazy. Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah. Now I can see this needs to be in your stocking.
0: Yeah, well, I, I bought it. And and I had it for I had the old. You're version. You're not supposed to
2: buy this stuff in December, Carl. Well,
0: yeah, all right. This is
2: what makes your loved ones
0: yeah, angry. Yeah, with but you right my here. wife, my kids—they don't know what to get me. You know, it's like I can't wait. I'm just like I'm <laughs> going to buy it, and I upgraded. <laughs> I must have this now. I upgraded. It only cost me seventy bucks because I okay. had the old version, but it's two hundred dollars if you're buying it outright. And the MIDI stuff is so awesome that you just say, "I want to attach." This controller to this function, you know, I want to turn this effect on and off. And then you hit a learn button and then you send it whatever MIDI you're going to send it. And it does it. So, here's my final rig. You ready for this? Okay. I've got my Asus ZenBook laptop, which, as you know, is really... Great little machine. Great little machine. And that guy is running an app that I wrote in WPF. Yes, I wrote my own web server <laughs> because it was just too too much with security and all this stuff to make a uh, an Owen server. And I really just needed a very simple signal. I don't need a whole lot, right? Right. So I just basically wrote up this sockets based server, and I got the HTTP requests. I parsed it out. All of that stuff took me twenty minutes. It was so easy, right? So then, uh, now one of the things you can do with Flick is send an HTTP request. Right. So I send an HTTP request, you know, command equals, you know, toggle reverb or whatever. So I just do a select case on that. There's this other tool called Loop B, L O O P B E, which is a virtual MIDI cable. My, my, uh, app makes a MIDI call through Carl's MIDI tools, another library that I wrote for MIDI. Out through Loop B, which goes into Guitar Rig, toggles it on and off. I've got my my uh, toggle buttons. And <laughs> with a USB audio uh, interface that I can plug the guitar into, now I've got Mega Rig for on and the
2: gig. And you're using HTTP calls to control your guitar sound. Uh,
0: that's right. It's so yeah. Rube Goldberg, but I love it's it. It's
2: pretty Rube Goldberg.
0: <laughs> I yeah. love it.
2: Uh, I just can't wait till I can man in the middle attack your reverb. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Oh, no, you will not be able to do that, <laughs> sir. No. Anyway, I'll get you, Franklin. <laughs>
0: that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> that's awesome, man. <laughs> Isn't I love that awesome? It. We might have a Rube Goldberg contest here at .NET Rocks to see who can make the most complicated app. That works. Yeah. Pro- uh, as many protocol changes as possible? Absolutely. As we many protocol it. changes, as many messages passed, I think that would be a good idea. And and that's my uh, my first uh, uh I, I, first I mean,
2: my, my rule would be you have to use XSLT in it, too, to of <laughs> those transforms, right? Like, if you're going to go to hell, really go fully to hell.
0: Well, the bottom <laughs> line is it works. And it's yeah, okay. fast.
2: <laughs> it's, it may look stupid, but if it works, it's not stupid. Yeah. All right, man. Who's talking to us? <laughs> Grabbed a comment off of show 1046, the one we did with Jimmy. Uh, back in uh, October of 2014, we talked about uh, MVC projects, large-scale ones. Yeah. Uh, because he, you know, definitely deals with that. And, uh, this is a comment about from about a year ago. So surprise. Um, William Gross said, this was definitely a great show. I've been developing and more importantly, maintaining ASP.NET based line of business apps for 10 years. Whoa. And I've come to many of the same conclusions as Jimmy, especially about the ineffectiveness of unit tests and the fact that single page applications are not always the best solution. Spas do offer the best user experience, if done right, but they can also cost more to build and maintain. And if you were to in charge of creating a line of business web app for 100 users or 1,000, and you had the choice between building a spa or building a lower cost traditional web app and using remaining time and money to add more business functionality, which would you pick? Yeah. As long as the user experience is good enough, most of my clients will take the extra business functionality any day. Yep. I think that over the next few years, AngularJS and other SPA technologies will see tremendous improvement. But at the same time, building an app with client-side business logic is always going to be harder because one, your work on the web server tier doesn't go away. It just changes from HTML to JSON. And two, you have to deal with a potentially out of sync data on the client. Mm-hmm. Totally fair. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's sort of the reality. And I, I do appreciate that the bill's gone and said, you know, one of the reasons that it's taking longer to build spa apps is that the tools aren't as mature. That it's, we're not, we're just not as efficient building that way yet. And, you know, give them a couple of iterations. Maybe they'll be faster. But, yeah. uh, yeah, when you push work down to the client, it doesn't mean you don't get to do that work on the server anyway. Validation happens everywhere, every time and, and so on. So you still got that work to do, but uh, user experience is worth something. So yeah, it's sure. an interesting hold, hold trade. A lot. Uh, So, Bill or William, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug.
0: And send tweets. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. We eat tweets for breakfast, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. Not at the same time. We're three hours apart. That would be crazy. All right. Well, that brings me to introduce Jimmy Bogart. Jimmy is the chief architect at HeadSpring, a software consulting company based in Texas. His day job is helping his teams develop great software for their customers today and building libraries, evaluating tools, and prototyping systems for their customers tomorrow. Welcome back, Jimmy. Yeah, good to be back. Thanks Thanks for having me. Last time we talked, we were under the bridge in Brooklyn, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, I can simulate the
1: train going by again if, if that
0: helps. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Dumbo building. Yeah,
0: that's Yes, right. yes, yes. Down under
2: Manhattan Bridge, bridge. overpass. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Dumbo. Dumbo. Yeah. And in, who was dumb enough to bring a microphone to this <laughs> subway stop? Uh,
0: my arm's going up there.
2: Hey, we got some great shows while we were there. I had a really a fun time.
1: Oh, you can't have not have a good time in Brooklyn. I mean, it's just it's just a great
0: place. So, for Microsoft, this is the age of open source, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's been a crazy year, hasn't it? I mean, it's it's just so many things going on in open source and .net. Uh, Honestly, uh, rewind three or four years, I could have never imagined us being at the spot we are right now. Yeah,
0: yeah, sure thing. And yet, it seems like the the logical thing for them to do. And it seems like, you know, people are used to Microsoft being anti-competitive. And now it, people are having a hard time believing that the, that they're such an open company.
1: Yeah. And I, I can understand that too. Um, it's, it's definitely changed a whole, I mean, it's, it's a sea change in the past 10 years, um, from way back in the old, all dot net days, if anyone cares to remember any of those days, mm. uh, to today where it's a, it's a much more embracing style they have. I mean, there's still going to be people that are upset and scared over this, this change is happening. But you know, you can see from Microsoft's uh, communication that they're doing as much as possible to to let people know you. This is not uh, this is not a change in the service we have or uh, a support. This is just a better way of developing software that is going to improve your life uh, going forward.
2: Mm. We had this conversation with, I think it was Damian Edwards. who's was talking about, you know, we're still building the product. Right. We just happen to, we take a copy of the open source library and we build it and package it just like we always have. It's just that you get to watch us build it in the first place and participate if you want.
1: I think people have this idea of open source as something like Wikipedia, right. where yeah. someone can go in and edit themselves as a president of some country, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. It's just, that's just not how it works. Um, yeah.
2: So, well, and, it, and, it's, and it's clear they have a roadmap too. You can't just contribute willy nilly to ASP.NET. You've, it's got to be part of the plan.
1: Oh, and that's something that anyone with an open source project has to deal with is just, um, it's one thing to say, I'm going to put my code out in the public. Another thing to say, and now I invite other people to go ahead and contribute as well. It's a huge step.
2: Well, this is something you've done, right? I mean, this Exa- is-
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, Jimmy, how did you get started in
2: open source?
0: Um, it was honestly, the my first open
1: source project was born out of sheer boredom. That's a good way to start. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, though, honestly. Um, Wait a minute. Were you controlling if, a guitar with
0: a button? <laughs> who would do through that? an HTTP request?
1: <sighs> That's called the Internet of Crappy Things yeah, right absolutely. there.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Yep
1: no it was just um i was at a i was at a job where i wasn't really doing very much so i thought you know what i'll do i'll i'll code something so i i started an open source project um for basically all the wrong reasons it wasn't anything i actually needed mm-hmm. uh or I was going to be using on a daily basis uh on top of that it was a carbon copy of someone else's project i thought i could just do it better yeah um without actually talking to the other person so pretty much every every bad thing you can do with open source that was my first project Nice. Um,
2: you did it all. This was
1: back when the when BDD was first getting started, behavior driven development. Mm-hmm. And so my first project was something called nBehave, which was a code based version of of building out sort of story like tests where you can have like as a I want to so that directly in your code. Oh, nice. um, but this is way before the whole uh, gherkin cucumber, cucumber. like text based sort of thing, yeah. and it was all right. C sharp. Uh, so it was mainly a way for me to get familiar with new C-sharp features. And a way to learn that you were ahead of your time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I put it out there. Uh, so I, I, probably, I basically said, everyone should come use this library. Uh, and when people started to use it, they had all these questions about how to use it. Mm-hmm. And it turns out I never actually used it. It was just a sort of experiment that I I told other people they should definitely use, but not actually having done it myself.
0: <laughs> ah. So those, were all,
1: those were all the wrong reasons to just put open source out there and, well, mainly don't tell people to use things that you actually don't use yourself. Right.
2: And so automapper was not your first project?
1: No, <laughs> no, that that was after I learned all my lessons. Well, at least some of them. What did you learn? Well, the fr- well, the first one was don't just put something out there that you don't actually use yourself. Mm. So um, the the project that I has the most downloads, at least for me, is uh, AutoMapper, uh, which, by the way, is the most popular open source project on NuGet. That is not Microsoft, uh, not a unit testing project, not a CSS project, not a JavaScript project in the Northern hemisphere and has a logo. <laughs> <laughs> it's up there. Wow. You took a while to box that one, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I watch a lot of ESPN and, and they're the way they call out those little highlights. So <laughs> that's, uh,
0: that's, On that's, Tuesday. That's actually really good though. You know? Yeah. That's
1: I, I mean, of course I, I think I am a little bit rare in the net space that I really don't have any bad things to say about my experience in this space. But may, most of it is because of just the way I I develop open source applications or or libraries at this point, and as well as just sort of where I where I set my targets and where I where I set my goals for these projects. Yeah. I for this one, for example, instead of putting Automapper, instead of me just and just playing around and putting it out there for people to try and having them tell me if it's a good idea or not, Automapper was actually part of a project that had a real need for this utility and it was something like nine months of internal use uh before i actually put out the first commits on public and said hey is this something anyone's interested in yeah and then it kind of took off from there but it was it was a much different experience of me really trying to prove it out on an internal project and that's really for the most part how i've approached my subsequent ones is uh months if not years of internal use and refinement before i think it's good enough now to go ahead and be pushed out and and recommended for use for other people.
0: This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by RayGun Pulse. You know about RayGun, that error in crash reporting software? Well, they've just launched Pulse. It's a real user monitoring product that gives you real-time performance data and user insights, letting you understand exactly what's happening when users interact with your software. Never be left guessing. Raygun provides you with the answers to your performance questions. Having found over 10 billion bugs in customer apps with their crash reporting product, Raygun now lets you understand application quality like no one else. Over 30,000 developers worldwide can't be wrong. Try it out today with a no-risk 30-day free trial. Check them out at raygun.io. GitHub is littered with... Projects that uh, have been put up there as like a document, an idea, and there's no code, you know. And Codeplex too. I mean, I mean, they're all over the internet. You know, this is an idea. Hey, this is a great project we're going to do, and there's a document and everything. There's no code, and and it's been abandoned. You know.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a depressing thing you see when you go. You find some cool projects and you go look at the GitHub and it says last commit two years ago. Like, yeah. Ooh hmm uh, no, it's a, that's your
2: basic <laughs> gauge how alive is this project really right
1: and that, I hear that as a lot of uh, arguments against open source as people talk about you know abandoned libraries and abandoned tools but it's not like Microsoft has ever abandoned any framework or library right no they would not never absolutely. do that <laughs> excuse me <laughs> last
2: time uh, it, last time I poked at this particular thing somebody finally admitted me they don't know if they can actually build Visual Basic anymore <laughs> hmm. You know, people, you know, every so often we get another wave of folks on, on the comments on .NET Rock saying, they need should open source Visual Basic. And apparently the real issue is the internal build system that Microsoft uses is very complicated. Mm. And mm. extracting a piece of software from that so that it can be compiled by other people is not a trivial thing.
0: Yeah, we thought it might have been that that uh, getting the licenses from everybody who contributed to it might have been a problem, but it turns out it's just a matter of having code that builds. There's one machine, I I think it was that Martin Woodward said,
2: there's one machine
0: at Microsoft that can still build it.
2: Well, and I'm sure there's license problems as well, but until you have code that anybody could actually run, Mm. what's the point?
1: I know Microsoft recently went through that with uh, going from Windows Live Writer to Open Live Writer, just reading some of the things, you know, you think, oh, just should be a simple switch to flip just to go put the, you know, copy, paste the code, whatever. But it, it took a lot. And uh, props to those guys for, for pushing to get it done. I, I remember seeing tweets from Scott Hanselman I years ago uh, of him responding to people like, why don't you open source Windows or don't abandon it. Mm. And he's, uh, you know, good for him to say, you know, who's going to own this? Because it's not worth it for us to go put it out there. And no one's the actual steward of the project anymore. But then there'll be, you know, people will have pitchforks for saying, you abandoned this. By just dumping yeah. the source code out there.
2: Back to that problem again. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it It has been one of his holy crusades to get Live Rider out for many years. And, and it finally happened. But it's, it's not just like he was banging against a wall. It was a lot of work that had to be done to get it there.
1: Yeah, I can only imagine with something like Visual Basic. I heard the same thing with... Uh, um, gosh with uh, even vba and before that. Um, oh gosh what was that li- the uh, i can't remember now um fox pro
2: yeah fox pro so people
1: trying to yeah
2: well you should open source fox pro same problem
1: talk to some talk to some old fox pro mvps they are still pissed off yeah no,
2: they <laughs> they're and they're hungry too because you know fox pro <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it's funny that nothing has actually ever replaced that whole way of programming. Uh, having had to do my share of FoxPro conversions, yeah, it's like wow, you can you can do that. You can you can update the foreground color with
2: a SQL script. Okay, does <laughs> just make it a good idea. Ah, you just ah, can no, do no. it. It's, it's there, <laughs> and somebody's proud of it too.
1: It, it but uh, I can see that they just can't take these things, and just seeing. Uh, even myself having to deal with open source over the years, it, it's the hard part is not just getting the code there, but um, my my automapper library is cross platform. And it's just been a beast trying to get a build server to build something cross platform over the years. Uh, the, the way you do build cross platform has changed so much that uh, eventually I just had to just delete my build server and start over again because it just became this. Duct tape and bailing wire, uh, sort of thing that couldn't stand up on its own anymore.
2: So the, you're, you're now able to compile Automapper to run on, on Linux and OS X as well.
1: And, uh, Linux, I mean, just about anywhere you can run .NET, you can run Automapper these days. It's not quite as much as something like JSON.NET, but phones, watches, Xboxes. Wow. And that's something that Microsoft has made much easier now. Uh, that's something else that's changing here pretty, should be changing here pretty soon, is uh, making it even easier to build cross-platform apps through the through this whole move towards core CLR, breaking up their core framework into individual NuGet packages will make it a lot easier to build cross-platform apps in the future. And that's what we're seeing today.
2: Well, and I and, and understand is if you watch what's going on with the core CLR on GitHub, like they're having a hell of a time. It's a lot of code and a lot, a lot of low level stuff that people are trying to understand to, to switch over to cross platform.
1: But every, mm. you can see them making progress constantly. And we, we still see that even the nature of building uh, libraries cross, cross platform with is changing with them. Um, you had this concept of portable class libraries. Yeah. Um, if you yeah, so that's that's also going away into even even better iteration. But they've had sort of two iterations in between there where they were trying things and they weren't quite the best thing. And so eventually they'll get to some, you know, magical unicorn place, but uh not quite there yet, but it's it's definitely better than it used to be, which was um when I first started building open source libraries, I never even thought of trying to do cross platform because yeah. it was
2: so hard. And, it, and it's great to think that that's, these are two totally different problems. Being open source is one set of problems. Being cross-platform is another set of problems.
1: And it, it all starts with a very innocuous GitHub issue or whatever that says, hey, uh, this one was, uh, hey, um, would you mind if you supported Silverlight 3? And I thought, couldn't be that hard because I don't have- How has- hard could that be? How hard could that be? Actually, very hard, it turns out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Halfway through that, you're like, what have I done? <laughs> Wait a minute. What?
1: Yeah, that's, I, w- whenever I, get, I sometimes give talks about my experience at open source. And so, one of the things I show to people is as my kind of OSS resume, I show my NuGet packages and my successes are the packages that are still available and then my yep. failures are the ones that i've 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 hidden from view and one <laughs> of them down there is an automapper dot silverlight out there that you can still get a few if you have access to but it's you know it's it was it was ridiculous
2: it was not worth the pain huh no, right, no i found your blog post on automapper for silverlight 3 alpha from 2010 you sound <laughs> yes. so optimistic ah uh, gosh yes <laughs> Hey,
0: Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is?
2: Ah, it must be that happy time again.
0: Yep. It's time to write an iPhone app that lets me set an alarm that sends an email when it goes off and a PC in the kitchen pulls for the email. When it sees the alarm, sends a message to a Raspberry Pi that opens a relay that tells my coffee maker to start brewing. Then a liquid (laughs) sensor in the coffee pot tells the Raspberry Pi to the PC to send an email back. That app downloads and then wakes me up to tell me the
2: coffee's done. Two hours after it's finished. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, my God. Actually, you have to set an alarm to check the email. Some, You know, the funny thing is somebody out there is going, yeah. i got to do that. That'll work. <laughs> All right. It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first... Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at Devexpress.com superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Emmanuel Erickson. Congratulations, Emmanuel. Yes. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Emmanuel Erickson. And uh, Emmanuel just won the D Experience subscription from Developer Express, a great big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're doing, go to click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. All right, Jimmy, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? I would put a
1: $5,000 down payment to a Tesla. Ah,
2: there you go. Not the
1: first person. (laughs)
2: Nope. (laughs) So, the S or the X?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, they've been talking about the, the upcoming one. that That's uh, that's what I was looking for. for the 3? Yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen the 3 yet. The X is technically out, although I don't know that anybody has one yet. Mm. They're at least taking orders for it or starting to do production on it.
0: And the 3 is supposed to be um, cheaper, isn't it?
2: Yeah, like the $60,000 version or the $50,000 version as opposed to the $100,000 version.
0: Right. Yeah, that $5,000 will not make a dent in that
1: too much, would it? Well, I guess like not.
2: we said before, you could buy the mirror. The, <laughs> that's right. The windshield, maybe. <laughs> or a really nice model. Or the charger. You can have the charger.
1: Oh, yeah. Just, I'll, I'll buy a supercharger and that's about it.
2: Yeah. No, th- 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 you can't even get the supercharger. You get the charger charger. Oh, just the regular <laughs> charger, of course. What do I think? It's only five grand, dude. The, the yeah, thing you so. plug in. Yeah, so it's like, see that thing over there? If I had a Tesla, I'd plug it in there.
1: <laughs> Let a friend <laughs> borrow it and never, never brought it back. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, he's he's his the car's dead on the highway about 240 miles from here, probably. Yeah, that's right. Uh,
0: oh,
2: I, I can't. I wonder when AAA is going to start carrying around like a generator or something so they can recharge electric cars that get stranded.
1: It's those giant CPR paddles they're going to have.
0: <laughs> Clear. I saw for the first time at a mobile station uh, on 395. Yeah, going towards uh, Worcester. Uh, a hydrogen dispenser Oh, nice I had never seen one before I yeah, mean, I'd heard that we were starting these this hydrogen economy and stuff But it, it really is a kind of a, a weird thing To think that there aren't any significant number of hydrogen-powered cars on the road Yet there's a hydrogen dispenser
2: Well, there is the, the Toyota Mirai, right? I mean, that is actually a car you can buy that's a, that's a fuel cell car Hmm so, I mean, I think Toyota's taken it upon themselves that with the the, the Prius, in some ways, is almost an accident. Yeah, it's becoming quite incredibly popular. So now that they're almost trying to, they're trying to Prius the hydrogen car. Yeah. So if you go take a look at a Mirai, I mean, that's uh, that's what it's about. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's good to see. It's good. To we're see. trying. Yep. We're, we're trying right. to solve this problem. Uh, Speaking of trying to solve this problem, I noticed that the source for the 1.01 for Silverlight 3 Alpha of AutoMapper is on CodePlex. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, CodePlex, yes. You've
2: been running AutoMapper now for, what is it, seven years, eight years?
1: Yeah, it's, it's going on, uh, yeah, it's it's about uh, seven, eight years, something like and that. And you didn't
2: start it on GitHub because you couldn't have. Yep.
1: No, I didn't. No, that wasn't a thing.
2: Yep, No. Yeah. So fact, you've sort I, of got a spray of automapper source scattered around these various repositories.
1: Oh, yeah. It actually started on Google Code. Oh, my that, God. When that was a thing. And then Coplex was a thing. I thought, you know what? I'll go use that. But then it was... TFS source control instead of subversion, which I didn't like at the time. Right. So I only used CodePlex for issues, and then I moved everything to GitHub, and then for about two years, no one knew where to put anything. Yeah, there was just a couple of bad years. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit of a, a long transition. Uh, it was up until probably six months ago, I still had people opening issues on CodePlex, even though I moved to GitHub four or five years ago. It's just, I can't I can't just shut the project down. Unfortunately.
2: Yeah. What why why and why can't you? Like there's just no way for you to delete a project off of Codeplex?
1: No, there's a there's a button that lets you delete it. It just doesn't
2: work. <laughs> <laughs> That's cruel. <laughs> so cruel. So it's like Ashley Madison. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. But delete. it that is something that GitHub has made, I mean, obviously much, much easier is to 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 put an open source project out there and get contributions from other people. Yeah. And the tooling they put out there has made it much easier for people to contribute, even though they may not be Git experts. Uh, they put a lot of stuff out there to help them that. They haven't helped as much in terms of, I mean, I get a lot of GitHub issues. So just trying to understand what I've replied to, what I haven't replied to. So oh. far, email has hmm. still been the best thing for me to just manage who you know whoever it responded to who still needs a response? Yeah, that's just GitHub is not an email client, so
2: yeah, and, and not a and not a fact management tool or a a text or a certain, you know customer support tool, which is really what you're you're doing when you handle all those emails.
1: Yeah, pretty much is just you know responding to people's issues. Um, yeah. Oh, the other thing that's also really helped open source is Stack Overflow. Really? Uh, I, I yeah, I'll well agree with you. You think about it, okay? Before Stack Overflow, if someone had an issue with your source code they could or just a general question they could go to uh you know whatever trouble ticket system you have but that wasn't generally that wasn't for general questions mm-hmm. and so they they typically we typically have a mailing list which for me i don't even know if i have it show up in my inbox anymore i think i just look at it once a week or so
0: well and but, it's also mailing list is just too general you know yeah i don't want to keep a, my own database of problems
1: i want the formatting the and to find my vacation yeah. someone needs an answer right away like yeah. No, but on Stack Overflow you get internet points for answering questions,
2: right. and that is, right. seems
1: to be the magic sauce. Where my mailing list, I didn't get any internet points, but if I answer the same question on Stack Overflow, internet points, badges, you know, all sorts of meaningless things. But I, I, I rarely, rarely the first person to answer an Automapper question these days, no matter how quickly I see it, because there's just so many other people out there that just. Really love answering questions for people on that platform. They want their badges and being able to go easily, you know, go there to see past questions. With a mailing list, I answer a question, and oftentimes, if someone asks me a question on the mailing list that seems more general, I say, "Hey, can you go answer this? Ask this on Stack Overflow because it's way more searchable there. Mm -hmm. If it's on here, you know, if you don't see that email, you know, it's, it's just gone."
2: It's interesting that GitHub and Stack Overflow, I mean, all this stuff started in 2008, and it took them a couple of years to sort of get it in order. Realistically, it's only been five years that the sort of modern open source world has existed. The one that you're describing anyway.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, before that, we were I would have had to pay money for some bug tracking system or uh, use, oh gosh, something like SourceForge, which I think is all spyware now. Yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> it's still up. I know it's still up, but uh, my my ad my my ad blocker blocks that website, so I don't. (laughs) They did something wrong. Wow,
2: brutal.
1: But yeah, it's the the support network is really if you if you have a project that is that is worth having or it is meaningful to people, then a support group will arise to help support this system. So today I get. Uh, I get a lot of pull requests from people I've never, never talked to in their life, never met, but they, you know, they love your library. And so they're more than happy to, to, uh, you know, people have issues are actually contributing and, and closing issues for me. Um, wow. This is not something that happened for me even two or three years ago. Mm. That's uh, just
2: check in with you first. Like, is there a conversation before they start writing code? Or is the first time you meet some of these people is when a pull request arrives?
1: Yeah. So that's a, that, that crosses over into the, some of the human side of this yeah. because it all, it is all just text on a screen. I, I really try hard to be patient with people and empathetic because
0: right.
1: someone spent their time the other day to do something. And it's, uh, it, you know, I try to be the least jerky possible um, yeah.
2: <laughs> answering these things. Cause you can see how, uh, how Linus Torvalds got to be the way he is. <laughs>
1: I mean, I'm sure he answer. He had answered, you know, several ag- orders of magnitude more than I had to. But yes. um I do get the I do get the pull request that's, you know, changing 200 files and just comes out of the blue. And I don't I don't even know where to begin with something like that because it's I, the first time I've seen it, and I don't know what it's doing or why or what all these changes for. Right. So. The best, you know, the best ones we get are are really very targeted, or I can very clearly express. Here's the problem I'm having. Here's the need I have, and here's something that fixes it. And as long right. as it fits the style of what's going on, then I'm more than happy to accept it. Uh, the trouble is, though, if it's a feature that I wouldn't use actually in real life, and that's that is one place I've actually gotten into trouble with open source. Mm-hmm. So if I have I, this happened to me in the past, where someone uh, very early on when I, you know, b- my first real big mistake with Automapper was a pull request for a feature that was something I didn't understand why you would use it or when someone would ever use that or what problem they were having, really anything about it. But because I was so excited about someone contributing, I just went ahead and merged in their changes and said, you know, I have contributors. Hooray. But, yep. <laughs> And uh, like you already mentioned, how old Automapper is? That means I had to support that feature for four or five years. And right. Issues come in where I just uh, the code was actually all using really low level .NET things, reflection emit, which I took assembly lang- language programming in college. I never want to do that stuff ever again. Right. Which is basically <laughs> what reflection emit is, and it was in my code base, and people had problems and they wanted me to fix them, and I couldn't. So eventually I actually just spun out all of that code into its own project. And anytime anyone opens an issue, I give them commit rights. Nice. And just say, I'm there not, there you go. Knock I'm not demanding it, but you know, you're going to have to, I, I still support the whole build ecosystem. So if they, if it all the tests pass, whatever, then it gets released. But I just, I don't know enough about the code to understand what it's doing or why. So you clearly have a need for it. So you can you can fix it.
2: Yeah, you can you can own that problem too.
0: It seems a little counterintuitive, doesn't it? I mean that you would that you would give them commit rights right off the bat, but it, I didn't
1: well oh, what's my I didn't have any recourse because they 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 have an expectation that I would fix it. Right. And if I just asked them to submit a pull request, that's not going to really motivate yeah. them to do anything, but if I I'm not really shoveling it off into them. I'm like, I'm empowering you. It's like, Hey, you know, don't wait for me.
0: Right. Go in there, fix it. And if it works, let's get it released. Do do people, are people surprised by that kind of response? Like, Oh yeah.
1: Um, I don't actually, I haven't actually had anyone take me up on the offer yet. Huh? So
2: (laughs) just dropping uh, uh, commit rights to them. Just drive them away.
1: I don't know. I mean, (laughs) the, it's it's still a very big ask for people to say, if you have a problem, go ahead and change the code yourself it's still you know i I myself you know I, I being in open source for a long time, I still try to have a conversation with people to say, what yeah. are the right thing to do because you know just like any code base that's been around for years, you don't know all the all the little demons hiding in which places that you don't have to, you have to worry about sure I've got hundreds of tests, but it certainly doesn't cover every scenario so that always makes me a little hesitant to just dive in and make any sort of significant change
2: well I and mean, by that same token when you have someone who's just going to dive in and start making significant changes without that you you've kind of worried about them
1: well there's that too um <laughs>
2: <laughs> i just do. Did-
1: i mean it, it's it even though the bar has gotten lower for contributing to open source it's not zero so you still have, you know it still takes a certain kind of person to uh, put themselves out there and say hey i want to give back to your project it's a um, you know, you're really kind of laying yourself bare to say, here's here's my code, oh great person who built this uh library. It's the number one open source library, non-Microsoft. Well, oh we already went through all that. Never mind. <laughs> yep,
2: right. <laughs> you I, I I just looked at the new get statistics like you're 59th, man. Like that's way up there. Yeah, it's
1: um I mean I do have a lot of botnets uh going and pulling those downloads to help boost me, but it's it's good, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, your botnets are working like a hot damn.
1: (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, though, I, I of course, never, I wasn't looking to change the world or anything like that with that, with that project. It was really just, I had something that I was building that had nothing to do with the business problem at hand. So was it just going to live inside that code base locked up forever? Or could I try to take it out and use it on the next project the next client and make it easier for the next one to build Mm. and so on and so forth. So my I mean, my original goal was really just let's not have something that has nothing to do. It's not IP. It's, it's nothing to do with what you're, you're doing and try to pull that out so that uh, we, can, we can use it on your next project and it's not just locked inside this code base. That was my, That's honestly, with most of my projects, that's my biggest goal is just to have something I can use on the next project. That's that's good yeah. enough for me,
0: Jimmy. Do you ever get complaints from people about like you know s- silly things like not enough comments or I mean I guess that's not that silly but
1: <sighs> yes I do uh, I think that's something that every open source maintainer hits. They get two questions of like why isn't there enough documentation and is your project dead?
2: Uh,
1: uh, which
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know there's like those are the ones that just set people off, but if I'm going to have a project and a library that people are going to use, it needs to be documented. Yeah. That's something that I've changed over time with my open source projects. Even today, like I don't put out a release of Mapper anymore, and so all of the features I've put in have a link to a wiki document that describes mm. what that feature is about. Yeah. The very at the very least I could link to the test that shows the shows the functionality of how to how to use it. But it, it's just, I'm doing my users a disservice if I'm not telling them, well, all the cool things you can do with my library. Right. And if I don't tell people how to use it, then that's where projects will die if it's not
0: documented. Sure. Do you, um, do you, I noticed some people have started doing, you know, videos and linking to them, you know, just sort of getting started videos or, you know, this feature or that feature. Do you, you think that's a good idea? Is that where we're headed?
1: Oh, I, I absolutely I mean, something, for example, folks like the, the, the glimpse guys who, whose product is very visual that it's absolutely useful for that because you can walk through. Here's how to set it up with Nougat and yeah. integrate it into your application. And then here's a running, here's all the telemetry. Um, I haven't done as much on, on mine, mainly because mine are more low level libraries. Sure. So I do a lot more blogging about how to, how to use things. And so that's, that's my main form of documentation i have uh, besides wikis and stuff is is written descriptions of you know here's here's the kind of places this works well and here's how to integrate it and here's what it looks like at the end
0: are there any um, other things that you do i mean uh, obviously these are general things like you know clean documentation and all of that stuff but are, is there any other th- absolute must that you have to do for a project
1: Well, like I I think I alluded to before, but one of the biggest things that's helped me be successful is is really making sure I know what the definition of success is for me. Mm, If my definition of success is I'm going to change the world... I'm probably going to be disappointed (laughs) if it's, I'm going to have a million downloads. Like, you know, I can't control that. Uh, Really. All I want to do is it's not really lower the bar, but appropriately set my sights into what I can control. And if other people enjoy it and use it and like it, that's just icing on the cake for me.
0: That's cool.
2: Do you ever, um, do you buy into this whole like jump in uh, issues and, or first timer issues, things like that?
0: Uh,
1: yeah the the whole up for grabs movement. Um,
2: up for grabs, yeah,
1: yeah. I it, it
0: if,
2: I've and tried what's it a that couple exactly. Times.
1: It's the idea that where you uh you want to engage people that haven't done open source before, or you want to put out things that anyone can just jump in and do. So you put a label on your GitHub project with a specific up for grabs label, and you register your uh, you link your project to this Up for Grabs website. And what they'll mm. have is just a list of projects and issues that are Up for Grabs that you can mm. just, if you want to go code something, you can go say, hey, the this person that maintains this project says, hey, someone else have at it.
0: Huh, That's really interesting. It's really interesting to put them all in one place because that it's makes really, it easy for people who want to contribute to stuff.
1: And it's great for ones too where if, if you don't, if it's not in your wheelhouse of what you under, you know, how you... Uh, what you need to do, I mean, a lot of times it's for, uh, like, if someone wanted to have Silverlight support, I would put that as an up-for-grabs thing because I don't build Silverlight apps, and so I wouldn't know when it's done. Yeah. So I could give that to someone else and say, you, you do the legwork uh, because it's a need for you, and then I can help support that.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, and there's an, there's another aspect back to this, which is the you know, I mean, up for grabs is generally so you've never done open source, but there's also specifically the first timers, which is oh. very simple issues. You know, so you want to go through the exercise the mechanism of contributing to open source. Here's something small you can huh. do that will make a contribution. We've been doing this at um, at humanitarian toolbox mm-hmm. as well. Right. Yeah, I noticed that. And
0: do you have to like sort of rate them or just put them in a category as being you know? Easy, beginner level. I mean, that seems like an awful lot of work for stuff that doesn't exist.
2: <laughs> it's it, it, it's it's a labeling process, yeah, right? Sure. We, yep. we we build all these issues of what needs to be built for our project, and then we we tag them with priority and so forth. Anyway, and, right. and map them the milestones, all the process to help yeah. people get software built. And one of them we mar- we can mark them with is jump in. Yeah. Hmm. I like it. I just don't know that AutoMapper is well-suited as that. It's kind of a, a low-level, like, smart guy tool.
1: Yeah, and I kind of, because it's a long-lived code base, there are plenty of things I would want to do differently. And so yeah. I don't want people's first impression of me as six-years-old code, you know?
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the side effects of of having it around for so long, is there's some code you're not proud of.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: definitely. So you need to create a new label called Clean Up My Mess. <laughs> <laughs> Comment my code. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. I've, I've got a few of those. <laughs> then a miracle you're occurs. you to tag them that way.
0: And then a miracle occurs. Yes.
2: Once upon a time. Well, I mean, I'm, I am looking at the issues in AutoMapper, and it's like improvements, features, bugs. Like, you've, you've got a bunch of labels that you're using just to help people know, you know, what you'd be doing here. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah and that actually all those labels to feed documentation so when i put out a release i use a tool to take all the issues categorize them and put them into a right. mark into markdown to to be able to put out there so anything to help lower you know make it easier for me to to actually release uh live release the software is you know just makes it so i can focus on actually solving problems
2: mm-hmm. right and I see you're running two milestones. So you sort of have a declared version milestone with a due date and then everything is uh, sort of out of scope for that milestone is in the future milestone.
1: Yeah. Just the V yeah. The future milestone are ones I've, I've looked at, but I, I need to put more thought into design. And uh, with this one, especially I've, I've moved away from sort of dot or, you know, just feature milestone releases and more to date based right. releases. Cause that's the only way I can, that's the only way I can release something now is just, Mark something in the calendar to put out what I have right now. And then Mm -hmm. I put it out
2: on on January 18th. I'm going to release this.
1: And that's that. (laughs) Whatever, (laughs) whatever is closed (laughs) by that time will be released. And that's that
2: sink or swim. Yeah. Yeah, It's an interesting dynamic. Have you had certain folks that, that really have been your major contributors folks that, you know, I I mean, obviously you dominate your project.
1: Oh yeah. And we've gone through with a project this long to, to we've had, you know, different people become the sort of second level person. So, uh, early on we had a, a guy, Jake, who was the kind of the bigger contributor. And then later on, um, I didn't have to pronounce his name, Lucian, uh, someone else now that's, uh, is, is really doing a lot of pull requests. So it's almost, I mean, for him, I don't know what he, I don't know what his day job is, but like, basically if an issue comes up, sometimes I'll see a pull request from him a day later, hmm. like, Oh, wow. okay. Thank you.
2: Hmm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting to look at the, the contributor timeline. You see, I mean, you've been steadily contributing to the project for a very long time, but you see folks that were in, you know, in the 2010 timeframe and others that were in the 2012 timeframe. And it looks like the solution is, you know, current.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, I think I, if I go look at my projects I contributed to as well, it's, you know, I'm on some project for some client and I needed to do stuff. So I'm pushing back and putting features back into that. So sure. it can make my project better. Hmm. And then I roll off and do something else completely. And then, you know, you'll
2: never touch it again.
1: Right. Till
2: <laughs> hmm. so the next project comes along. I mean, I think that's, but that's also very healthy, right? Oh, You're yeah. You're making changes to a project that you actually depend on. These are changes that you yourself as the contributor, will live with in your own code. I, I don't like the idea of making a contribution of code that you don't actually have to run yourself. It, it makes me nervous.
1: Oh, that's that's that was one of my hard lessons was my sure. open source contributions are things that I use on a daily basis from from some problem I have at hand. And if it's not something yep. that I I... I have plenty of experimental projects I have, but I just don't put them out there as like, here's a thing people could use.
2: You don't believe in your code until it's actually in the field and, and normal mortals are using it. Exactly. What is <laughs> yeah. your What is your next project, Jimmy? Oh, that is a
1: great question. I'm I'm just now finishing one at the end of this year. It's uh one in the in the healthcare industry. So we just had a big uh, FDA submission process recently. So um, that was the, kind of the last thing in this project. So I I don't even know. <laughs> it's going to be a, a whole new year for me next year.
0: You're unemployed. <laughs> well, whatever it is, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Hey, Jimmy, thanks for spending this time with us. Oh, of course. And it's always great to talk to you. And we'll talk to you, dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks.